0: Okay, fictoplasm Advent Calendar Day 1 The Satanic Verses by Salman Rushdie Now um, obviously The Satanic Verses is Salman Rushdie's notorious novel from 1988 and it concerns a couple of protagonists one is Gabriel Farishta and the other is Saad and Chamcha and they begin the novel in um, well being blown up in mid-air on a commercial flight Boston over the English Channel and they inexplicably survive but are transformed into an angelic and demonic form, respectively, as they go down. Now, the framed story is about them negotiating London, um, and Saladin encounters prejudice and betrayal, and that affirms his demonic nature. But Gabriel adopts a sort of divine persona, and goes out and believes that he is the embodiment of the Archangel Gabriel. But throughout the novel, we also have um, a number of stories which originate in gabriel's dreams apparently now as some question about whether or not gabriel is actually hallucinating and the most prominent is the jahilia sequence which covers the origins of monotheism in the um, well the polytheistic city of jahilia which is synonymous with Ignorance in the um, in in the Islamic myth or Islamic doctrine, I think. Uh, so it represents a state before Islam, when there were many gods and people were ignorant. And Jahilia is a sort of the city built on sand. It was constructed to worship a um, uh, worship the existence of a well, but water is actually anathema to the city, and the water cellars are. Well, the um, they are the lowest of the low because water could wash away the foundation. So it's got this. It's basically the it represents the folly of the city. Now, in this sequence in the story, um, there's one of several framed stories. This is the uh, the portrayal of Muhammad as a character called Mahond, um, who is a business person. It's one contentious reason why um, why Salman Rushdie got the um, the response he did. Nevertheless, this character Mahound is the true messenger of God, and he has a number of disciples around him, and he wrestles with the archangel Gabriel to obtain the uh, the true word of God, which he then brings down and um, introduces the city to, and gradually converts the city from a polytheistic society to monotheistic. Um, there is one instance where, supposedly, he wasn't wrestling Gabriel, but the devil in disguise And from then, um, that's where we get the satanic verses. Supposedly, these verses were more tolerant of a polytheistic outlook. He develops this new religion called, um, I think it's called Submission. And there's three distinct parts in this set of the nested stories. There's three ages. So before Submission, this is when uh, Mahond is, is writing the verses there is the point at which there is the battle between um, the monotheism and the polytheism and the political opponents to monotheistic thought and then there's the aftermath when a monotheistic religion has been fully adopted in jahiliya and um, and we have uh, the political opponents of the submission are in hiding. Specifically, there's a poet called Baal, who previously wrote Tracts against this new religion. Um, now he's hiding in a brothel disguised as a eunuch, and he becomes the lover to seven prostitutes who've taken the identity of Mahun's seven wives. It's a bit complicated. But that's as one of the major cycles. The other nested story that's particularly significant is a pilgrimage to Mecca and a young girl called Aisha believes that she's spoken to the archangel Gabriel and her adopted mother's cancer will be cured if the whole village makes the pilgrimage and the journey is onerous and is disastrous. People die on the way and when they get to the Arabian Sea it doesn't part like they expect it to and a lot of people drown. So throughout um this is a magical realism story, um, and that's distinct from fantasy. So, uh, you know, in a primary world fantasy, it's generally accepted that the supernatural exists, even if there's a, only a very small minority of people who actually understand and appreciate magic. It's an artifact in the world, like a lot of, you know, urban fantasy is a prime example. But... Um, magical realism it's it's not just that there's no consensus in the fiction about magic or even if the reader is or isn't sure if if it's actually a fantastic thing that's happening or if it's um if it's magic or a metaphor or mental illness it's more to the point that it doesn't really matter um you know it's not offered as an explanation for anything and it's not really a prime motivator for the plot we do have things like the metamorphosis that Saladin goes through. Now he he transforms from a normal person to a cloven hoofed devil and gets larger and larger. But apart from his you know peculiar experience, he is treated like just another person. Um, although he is treated abominably because he gets sent to a detention centre, you know there's a there's a marked difference between his treatment as as the devil and Gabriel's treatment as an angel. Um, and the irony is that um Saladin is actually a British citizen but uh, he's he's treated terribly because he's not even given a chance to show his citizenship whereas Gabriel is not a British citizen but he's allowed to walk straight in and later Saladin in this sort of, his sort of um, enormous transformed state is taken in to by um an immigrant family who look after him and hide him in the attic and he only transforms back when he actually acknowledges the anger that he feels towards various people including his father including Gabriel as well um, and at that point he acknowledges uh, and embodies the devil that he resembles he transforms back into a human and um, a lot of this whole story, the whole framing story, it's set in modern days in sort of late 80s London is all about both um, Saladin and Gabriel finding themselves you know, crucially Saladin's arc is all about um you know being extremely resentful of uh, and of his past and his father and then going through trials where he confronts his feelings and totally transforms himself and and the two uh, actually the, the the divine and the um uh, demonic aspects of them swap around so if it, it, towards the end it's Gabriel being the uh, the villain and Saladin being a, a benign character who's, um, you know, ends up being loving and compassionate and extremely sympathetic. Anyway, um, so the themes for this, I picked out a few when I wrote these notes. Uh, magical realism is one, um, and then another one is sort of a really good hook. So, uh, I want to measure, mention one more thing about magical realism. So there's an example uh, in Kate Atkinson's Life After Life, where Ursula dies over and over. You know, it's a it feels like a Groundhog Day scenario, except well, there's certainly no levity involved. Um, but uh, you know, she basically iterates her life path towards the best outcome which eventually is killing Hitler. But the point about this is, you know, we we as observers, as the readers, think there's something supernatural going on. But actually, as far as she's concerned, she's just reiterating the same set of circumstances. And none of the people she interacts with are um, aware of this happening. But um, she's creating the best possible world she can through her actions. And so it's it's not really so much of a... um, a power so much as a thought experiment about sort of what would she do differently each time. Uh, So that's magical realism. Now, I think it would be tricky always to turn that into a role-playing game. So um, I think you'd end up with a a very challenging situation where you would hint at magical things going on uh, and avoid agreeing any consensus amongst the playgroup. And you might say non-diegetically, you know, outside Outside the game, like sort of in a in a meta gaming sense that this is obviously evidence of magic, and you might have that conversation as players, but not have it as characters tricky thing to do um might be might be fun to do it once or twice, but I think i would I would struggle with that because most of the things that I would get wrapped up in that kind of game would be. The trials that the characters actually go through, and that's the significant thing about Saladin and Gabriel's experiences. Even though there are, you know, um, religious allegories. Going back to the point I made that the magic doesn't really cause any plot. We could be reading a story which had none of the mysticism and the magical realism and the and the slight strangeness, and still have a very compelling story about two people with very distinct and detailed backstories with their own personal hang-ups. So anyway, I really enjoyed the satanic verses and I said one of the other things I had was hooks. And the reason I say that is that this is a book I plan to read uh, back from Fresher's Week, back in nineteen ninety one, when, you know, we had one of these typical evenings where we'd all pile onto the onto the floor in somebody's room and we'd all chat and I remember the guy that we were in, the guy's room that we were in, he had a copy of the Satanic Verses and it became a talking point. So he's like, oh, what do you think about Satanic Verses? Thinking that we talk about the the religious overtones and the current affairs around that book. But no, what he started with is, oh yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, it starts with two guys falling out of an airplane. And that's always stuck with me because it really skewers any sort of pretense around sort of, oh, it's lit thick and it has... Uh, every part of it has significance and layers of meaning and it's to be consumed in a particular way and no there's it's got a very exciting and punchy start and i thought yeah storytelling happens in a lot of different ways and this is a particular way of grabbing the reader now now the descent takes the entirety of the the first book as it were the you know a good fifty pages or so, so it's from from them falling and then recounting their backstory. I don't think you would tolerate that in a game. Saying, "Okay, you you all fallen out of an aeroplane, and um now we're going to talk about your past life," uh, unless you made this as a, a a weird story game or something. But I I think it would be a challenge to run that as a game. But then some people like a challenge. But that's that's one of the other things about this. It's got a, a very strong hook and hooking you into the action. And um, uh, that's always stayed with me about sort of thinking about. There's no reason Litvik can't also be magical and exciting and well-paced and have it have lots of things going on that engage you in in terms of plot. Okay, the last two things uh, that I thought about were Metamorphosis, and um framed stories or past lives so as I've said the, the satanic verses is a framed story with um, other embedded stories in it now one role-playing game that's always stuck with me is the game uh, sort of mid-90s urban fantasy also ran you know when everybody was doing urban fantasy games uh, and this was a game called Nephilim it was published in English by Chaosium um, but I don't think they've ever published any of the editions past the first. It's still alive and well in French, at least it, it was You know, the last time I looked in a French role-playing game shop, was probably only about five years ago. The problem about Nephilim is it always struck me as being slightly aimless. Uh, now, the, the thing about it is that you're supposed to be these immortal spirits who inhabit um, people, and then you live out their lives gradually transforming and metamorphosizing physically into the magical creature that you are and that's cool but the game never seemed to tackle the social implication of doing that um and i think that was that was one thing that was a bit of a a head scratcher and the other thing that i really think it missed a trick on is it's got this whole thing about past lives so the idea is you've inhabited lots of other bodies and there are nodes in history where you were present. Mostly, in, uh, you know, you you could have had more than one Nephilim there at a the time, and you may have been um, battling one of the many secret societies that opposes Nephilim. And, um, you know, it's the, the whole sort of Highlander, the series type feel to it. And as far as I know, this was only ever really used in the... Um, in the character generation, and that's that's a massive missed opportunity as well. So it's got this really nice structure with, with set periods where you could set scenes back in time, much in the way that you would do, you know, microscope or something like that, but of course it's, it's framed specifically for this role-playing game in this setting. Um, and I think you could use that format and the transformation to place the spirits not necessarily the physical characters they're inhabiting at that time but the spirits and the avatars back in a previous time and have them interact or play out a a story that's not connected with anyone else so um i I think there are other things that nephilim had problems with and one it was it was a bit tone deaf i recommend you listen to the system mastery review of nephilim because that'll tell you some of the ways it is a bit tone deaf and it's overwritten, and the magic system is excessive, and um, and you know what they they didn't they they had this magic system and the character generation system in the core book, and then they published two supplements which totally changed the character generation system and the magic system, and they're very worthy, very interesting, but it's like you know the very inconsistent message of the of the game, uh, I imagine because it had several different authors with a different artistic vision, but. Overall, I think if I were going to run a game that was based on, you know, some sort of metamorphosis and historical significance and the significance of a persistence of religious outlook, that's not a bad format to follow. All right, this is the first episode of the Avant Calendar. So now I have to open uh, one of my Avant Calendar windows and let's see. Hey. It's, uh, oh, it's a trumpet it's, uh, it's got something written on it I'll just hang on it says Azazel. oh I'll give you a blow later shall I ok well that's the end of that episode thanks for listening I'll speak to you later bye Fixerplasm Podcast words by Ralph Lovegrove music by Chris Zabriskie find out more at fixerplasm.net.